I have immense gratitude and I am deeply humbled. I do not take it lightly at all that these Black women believe in me and trust me to platform their stories. It is something that is a major honor of my life and I don't take it lightly at all. I want to thank all of you who listen to this podcast because in all honesty, I just thought my mom was going to listen to this podcast. (laughs) And when I launched this podcast, those of you that have listened to the show for long enough, my mom actually got stuck with me during the pandemic. So she was stuck with me in Barcelona. So I just thought the lady in the next room over was going to listen to the podcast. (laughs) I didn't think that this podcast would reach as many people that it has, that it would impact people's lives, that it would change people's lives. It's really hard for me to even absorb that all the way without crumbling. (laughs) But I am honored. I am so honored and I take it so seriously. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign an award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, podcaster, business strategist, and entrepreneur based in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to the 100th episode of Flourish in the Foreign. Oh my goodness. Uh, For those of you that are new, I'm Christine, the host and creator of this here podcast. For everyone else, oh my goodness, y'all. I can't believe it. We are here at 100 episodes and... This week is really momentous because three years ago, on May 11th, 2020, I launched this podcast with the very first episode, which features one of my best friends, Nyana, and off we went. Now we are 100 episodes in, and I'm doing this Ask Me Anything episode. So this is a different episode. I cannot believe it's been a hundred episodes. It has been three years. As a solo, meaning nobody else on the team, independent, meaning no studio backing, no network backing, black woman podcaster. And, um, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the work that I've been able to do, the work that I've put in. And that has been all done. By me. So when I say, if you like this podcast, if you love it, if you like it to continue on, support this podcast. All right. Support this podcast. You can do so by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. Buy me a coffee or purchase an item off the wish list. 
You can also support by making sure you are subscribed to this podcast. Something that's really cool on Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, is that there are questions that you can answer about each podcast episode. So I have some polls in some of the older episodes. And also you can tell me what you think about each episode via the Spotify app. It's right there. So if you're a Spotify listener, do that. I'd love that. Obviously, write a review. That's important too. I love to hear your thoughts and your feedback. Also, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on YouTube, right? Make sure you are following the podcast on Instagram. Now, you might be like, you're 100 episodes deep. You don't got nothing to prove. But if y'all know anything about, I don't know, being a Black woman in this capitalist world, especially as a content creator, yeah. I mean, I don't got nothing to prove, but quite frankly, all of these metrics are really important to the growth and sustainability of this podcast. And especially as a solo and indie podcaster, this is not lip service. Every single one of these things I ask you to do literally changes things for me in this podcast. So if you like this podcast, if you like it, if you love it, Go ahead and support this podcast in all of the ways that you are able to, because it makes such a difference, okay? Make sure you're sharing the podcast with your friends, your families, the work associates that you like. Heck, today we're feeling generous. Go ahead and share with those work associates that you don't like, all right? That is really how you support this podcast and big thanks to everyone who has been supporting this podcast. It means so, so much to me. It's going to be a long one, okay? Just get ready. It's going to be a long one. Go brew your tea, pour some wine, get your bath ready, put on your sneakers, get ready to walk. It's a long one, but it's going to be a good one. All right? On to the 100th episode. Season four, episode 12, 100th episode. Today's episode is an Ask Me Anything episode. I've been telling y'all to ask me some questions for this episode, and a lot of y'all did. I think I'm going to continue this series, so I'm going to do this Ask Me Anything episode now, and then I'll do one probably later this year. So, don't worry if you're hearing this in the future and you're like, man, I had a question. Just go ahead and drop me a voice note via the link in the description of this episode. It says, ask me anything. You can drop me a voice note. You can just slide into my DMs and I will just collect them for the next ask me anything episode later on this year. The questions that I received basically fell into a couple of categories. One was like, is this your cousin? <laughs> I got a lot of, is this your cousin <laughs> questions? I got questions about hair and beauty. I got questions about living in Spain. I got questions about immigrating to Spain. And I got questions about podcasting and all those. So that's how we're going to rock this one. I also got questions about building a business abroad. That's true too. So we have a lot to cover in this episode. All right. This is actually a really nice question, which was, how are you doing for real? Like, how are you really doing? And 
Thank you so much for asking me that because actually not a lot of people ask me that at all. I'm doing really great. I really am. Right now, I'm doing really great. If you've been listening to the podcast for a minute, you know, I had like an unexpected hiatus in 2021 and in 2022. That really was mental health related. I was going through a lot personally and I just couldn't, I couldn't give it to y'all. I just couldn't, I had to give it to myself. So I feel so much better in 2023. A lot of things have changed and I feel just really blessed and just more myself than I've actually felt in a long, long time. And I do contribute that to the podcast because when I get to meet all of you amazing people who listen to the podcast, some of my most dear people that I know and I collaborate with are people I met directly from the podcast, people I consider friends now. Yeah. And I've also just, I've gotten a lot of support from people I've met in the podcasting community or people I've just met through the podcast. So I'm doing good. But the thing is, is that life keeps on lifing, even if you're abroad. And it's so, so vitally important to make sure that you have community and that you have a sense of yourself, which I think is hard because sometimes you feel like you're floating. But I think it's important for you to have a sense of, you know, who you want to become and a sense of who you are at this moment so you can really understand where you're moving towards and so that you'll know the things that you need to prune out of your life so that you can flourish in the foreign. Because what? It's not about moving abroad. And it's sure as hell not about being abroad. Because you could be abroad and miserable. Ask me how I know. It's about flourishing abroad. And I am doing really, really well. I'm really excited about a lot of things that are happening in my life. And I can't wait to share with you some of these things that are happening. All right. Next question. How easy or hard is it being vegan slash plant-based in Spain? (laughs) This is a good one. This is a good one. So for those of you that don't know, I am plant-based. I've been plant-based since 2010. And um, I've had so many different experiences in Spain being plant-based. So my first experience in Spain was doing the Camino Santiago. And I would say then it was actually kind of difficult, but I learned quickly like lentils are my friends and also it was like it was a very strenuous experience doing the Camino Santiago I guess I should say for those of you who are like what's the Camino the Camino Santiago is a trek across Spain it's a pilgrimage across Spain that I've done it is 500 miles and I did that in 2014 and it was one of the things that was like the catalyst to me moving to Spain I'll talk about it in my episode episode 10 And I talk about it on other people's podcasts a lot, not really on mine. So then I moved to Spain in 2017. And actually, it's been quite amazing how fast plant-based and vegan options have become available in Spain. It's one of the things I'm the most proud about living in Spain. I'm just like, they just got it really fast. And so the options have absolutely exploded so much, even from 2017 to now, it's not really a big deal to be like, okay, I'm vegan. I don't do milk. I don't do cheese, stuff like that. 
it's not really difficult to eat out at all for people to understand that and to have options. Now, some options are better than others. So there's that. But honestly, before inflation, my grocery bill was the lowest it has ever been in my life because I could get fresh produce, organic produce, dried goods like legumes and grains and stuff like that. My grocery bill was like 20 euros a week. 20 euros. I mean, I'm a single woman, but like it was, and I was taking home bags. Okay. Yes. But now with inflation, it's not even that, that bad, but it's it's bad for what I was used to. So eating fresh plant-based is just not difficult at all, at all. Especially if you like it simple. I've been, I guess it's been like 13 years. So I'm not someone who's like reliant on veggie burgers or like vegan this or vegan that. Like I, I eat quite simply. And sometimes I have like processed foods that are vegan. And I guess everything that I really want, I can actually have. There's like really great vegan ice cream that's actually created here in Spain. It's based out of Madrid that I really like called Abatros. Yeah. So everything that I like, I can have. So I don't, I don't feel like it's hard at all, but also like I'm an OG. So I don't know. You might have to ask somebody who's newly vegan. Maybe they find it quite difficult, especially if they're coming from the States where they have lots and lots of processed stuff. I feel like there's a lot of processed stuff here too, like meals and stuff. But I've been in this thing for a while, so I eat quite simply and I think it's so easy and quite affordable normally to do so in Spain. Okay, next question. How do you feel about the state of the United States? Oh, Lord. Okay. Well, I'm going to say this briefly as possible. The current state of the United States is not surprising to me at all. And that might sound crazy, but it's not. But I also am a student of history and geopolitics in general. And so the state of the United States is actually not surprising to me at all. That being said, I am not flippant about that because I have family and friends that still live in the United States. My heart aches for them particularly my my friends that have children because I think they're so brave to send their kids to school because I couldn't do it. I don't have any kids, but I know in my heart of hearts, deep in my bones, that I could never send my children to school in the United States. With the way that gun policy and human life is being valued at the time. I just I just couldn't do it. So essentially, I feel not surprised, but very heartbroken for my friends and my family there, who I think in order to survive, in order to carry on, have to be desensitized. And I think being outside of the States, I definitely am not as shocked as like my European or my non-US friends were like, oh my God, did you hear this? Oh my God. I'm not shocked, but I am like, I'm very, I'm very sensitive to it. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not shocked by all the shenanigans. I'm not, but it hurts my heart because it doesn't have to be that way. 
And yet everyone believes that it has to be that way. And everyone is very entrenched in it, working in a way that disenfranchises a lot of people and hurts a lot of people. So, yeah, that's how I feel about the state of the U.S. It's a very sad and troubling time. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say I don't have any questions. I just really appreciate what you've been doing I think it's a super awesome space. I had a chance to talk to you one time on a live you were doing, and you just really helped me really reshift my attitude towards moving abroad or even trying it or thinking about it. And listening to your series really encouraged me to think more openly about the global possibilities and opportunities out there. I think it would be cool to know about more structured opportunities for moving abroad other than grad school or different programs people might take advantage of and so maybe if we get like a resource like that that would be cool oh, but yeah other than that just keep doing what you're doing you're super awesome and thank you so much for doing this work so thank you so much for just rocking with the podcast and thank you so much for your suggestion i could put together a resource with structured opportunities to go abroad. The only thing about that is that I feel like there's so many different opportunities. If we're talking about visa schemes, there's a lot of different visa schemes. If we're talking about teaching programs or other types of professional programs, I could probably put that together, but that might be something, just the way that I do things, that might be something I launch maybe in the autumn time because I'd have to get research and do it the way I like to do it. But thank you for the suggestion. And I would just like to encourage everyone to send me suggestions. Tell me what you want to hear, what you want to experience, what you think would make it better. And I'm not telling y'all I'm going to do everything y'all say. I'm not going to say that, but I like to hear from y'all. So, you know, I've got a lot of questions about whether someone's my cousin. Um, I will just say that we're probably cousins. <laughs> One, the last name Job is really common on the island of Tobago. And it is an island, so they're most likely my cousin. Now, how close of a cousin? I'd have to ask my granddad. And maybe I should have had him on the podcast. But whoever it is, they're probably my cousin. So, hey, cousin. <laughs> we are most likely related. So, hey, cousin. And I hope you're well. Next question. You have Trinidadian roots. Did you ever consider moving to Trinidad? Will you? That is actually a good question. And no one has ever asked me that. I do have Trinidadian roots. My father is from Trinidad. My grandmother is from Trinidad. My grandfather is from Tobago. And they immigrated to the United States in like the 70s. And I actually never considered moving to Trinidad. I've been to Trinidad as an adult, and it's beautiful, really, really beautiful. I actually talked to my grandparents about if they would like retire and move back to Trinidad. And my grandmother said, absolutely not, <laughs> which I think this is like a sentiment of a lot of like immigrants. <laughs> They're like, the States is where it's at. Trinidad is so dangerous. And Trinidad is kind of dangerous, but it's so beautiful and the food is so good and the people are so beautiful and hilarious. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I would love for my grandparents to retire in Trinidad, actually. I want to spend more time in Trinidad. 
I would love to spend like a month or two every year in Trinidad. And I think I was in the process of securing a Trinidadian passport. I need to follow up on that. So I will say never say never at all. I feel like I need to spend a lot more time in Trinidad. Maybe it's something about getting older. I don't know. I just feel like I want to spend a lot more time in Trinidad. Will I ever move? I don't know. I don't know about that. Though the weather suits me very, very nicely. And the cuisine suits me. And the fruits suit me. And the beaches suit me. <laughs> but as y'all know, visiting and living are two different things. So I don't know. I'll keep the door open for sure. The next question. Your locks are lovely. Thank you so much. I actually got a lot of compliments. Thank you, guys. Your locks are lovely. How do you maintain them abroad? I get this question a lot. And I did do an IG Live, which I did post onto YouTube about hair care abroad. So check it out. I probably will post that into the podcast feed sometime this summer. We'll see. So my lock journey is basically my living abroad journey. I started the process of locking my hair, which I did with just twists, a month before I moved to Spain in 2017. I didn't know anything about anything. I did not know anything about locks. I don't know. Maybe I was tired from trying to move abroad. I was just like, all right, girl, I'm just going to lock this up. Honestly, like my sister started her locks before me. She started them maybe like two years, two and a half years before me. So honestly, I did not have a game plan. I was just like, "Mm, my sister will tell me. (laughs) She'll help me. (laughs) When I lived in Barcelona, I went to this white French self-proclaimed Rastafarian. So take take that as you will. Who I let him retwist my my locks twice. And he was it was fine, but I was it wasn't really my vibe. So I just took it upon myself to learn my hair, learn what my hair liked and how to maintain it. My sister came and visited me my first year. So I told her to bring all her stuff so she could retwist my hair for me. <laughs> and it was like Christmas too. She's like, oh, I'm going to Barcelona for Christmas. And I was like, and you're going to retwist my hair. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. And she taught me a lot of stuff then too. Can I say something that's wild to y'all? I think having my lock journey abroad in Spain was like the best move because I am from Atlanta, Chocolate City, where all different types of hair looks laid and amazing and is gorgeous, right? Regardless if it's a wig, if it's a weave, if you bald, if you got braids, locks, whatever it is, everybody's laid and it looks amazing. And part of the lock journey is like, spiritually at least, supposed to be kind of like a a reducing of ego, you're going through awkward stages, you're you're living through it, you're re-examining your idea of beauty. There's a lot of stuff that goes on when you have locks, right? Especially if you're starting from the, the very, very beginning. And I'm just going to be honest, I don't think I would be strong enough to go through my lock journey in Atlanta. I just don't know. With everybody looking so fine and good, I just don't know if I would have been able to handle it. Being in Spain was fine because for me, at least this is what I told myself, I was just like, none of these people know what this is supposed to look like. They just know that that's a black girl with some black hair. And I think that was 
very freeing for me. I was just like, I wore my hair however I wanted to. I never felt any kind of way about it. And I didn't have anyone else to compare it to. Also, because my first nine months I was living in small La Rioja. So I didn't have any jealousy. I mean, I'm sure from like IG, but not in real life, not real life feeling like, oh my God, I feel whatever. So I was able to just leave it and let it do its thing. You know, I wasn't obsessed over, I wasn't obsessed over length. I wasn't obsessed about anything. And I think that was actually a huge blessing. But yeah, I just learned how to maintain it myself. I retwisted myself. I clarify and detox it. Now it's quite long, which is wild. Literally last year in 2022, I just looked in the mirror and I was like, whose hair is this? It's crazy. Yeah. So I feel now I will probably go up to London or France, find a loctician and try to find something I really like and hopefully get my hair professionally retwisted twice a year. Maybe a nice detox because like who wants to do their own hair? I don't. (laughs) I don't. So I'll probably try to find somebody. Yeah. And also, just to clarify, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks this. I'm not a natural redhead, y'all. I know. How disappointing. I'm not a natural redhead. I think it suits me, but it's not my natural color. I do maintain my own color. I dye it myself. Cream of nature. Ginger blonde. Get with it. And they're not sponsoring this podcast, though they should. And <laughs> yeah, I use lots of different products now because I know my hair, like Olaplex, a clarifying shampoo. I make my own spritzes to refresh. I retwist with almond oil or Aragon oil, rosemary oil, tea tree oil. That's the whole thing. So that is how I do it. And thank you so much for the question. Next question. Hi, Christine. I recently started listening to your podcast and feel like it's exactly what I've been meaning to hear. I'm currently trying to build my own business and move abroad, but I've been struggling with what would be the best thing for me to do. I have numerous ideas, but I've settled on consulting for the moment. I'd love to get some information on how to work with you or about your course. So the first thing I would say is, If you haven't listened to the mini season, Build a Business Abroad, which is season three, go ahead and listen to that season back to front, get a journal. A lot of things are going to pour out of you. Take some notes. The next thing I would say is to grab the Build a Business Abroad guide from the website, my professional website, christinejobe.com. Also peruse the blog posts. I'll be having more guest bloggers with different expertise, which I'm really excited about because these are like really dope people that can help to answer some questions and to just be helpful for you. I have put a pause on my Build a Business Abroad group coaching program. I may bring it back later this year. I've put a pause on it, to be honest, because... I am just doing a lot of things (laughs) and I love business strategy. I'm a business strategist. I love it so much and I pour so much of myself into it that for me, it's hard for me to have that program and not give it the attention that I feel like it deserves while in the process of doing so many other things. But I think I will be bringing it back. 
hopefully this year. But again, I'm a solo indie podcaster, y'all. Once we get a team and stuff, then I can do everything and everything for everyone. Now, I am a business strategist. That is that is what I do professionally. And I do work with clients one-on-one and with their organization. Working with me starts in like mid four figures. I work on a quarterly retainer basis. If that's something that you want to explore, I invite you to fill out my client inquiry form. You can find at christinejob.com. Click on my services page, click on the business strategy page and fill that out. My ideal client, people that I think get the best and the most out of me are people who are experts in some type of field and they are just looking to elevate their business, expand their business or to clarify that business. I'm actually going to let... Lori Tharps, who was a recent guest on the podcast, who gave me a wonderful audio testimonial. Let me let her tell you all about it. I just didn't know how to make that vision of being a creative writer a reality. Thankfully, I hired this amazing strategist named Christine Job, who really just sat me down and said, what do you want your life to be like? What do you want your business to be about? Because you do have to make money. Let's understand that. I need to make money, but how do you want to do that? I knew I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to teach creative writing, but I didn't know just how to put it all together. And since that wonderful strategy session, I have launched my writing business. It's readwriteandcreate.com, readwriteandcreate.com. And basically, it is a sanctuary for BIPOC writers and readers. I have a blog and a podcast. The podcast and blog are both offering content that is meant to help people optimize their creative writing life. If you're interested in working with me, I would say come come on down. <laughs> come on down. I know, as you've heard from Lori, and if you look at my website and you see all the women I've worked with, I know how life-changing and transformative having a business can be, obviously financially, but it can really be the engine for a whole new life. Next question. When are the books coming? Oh, goodness. Y'all are really... Why y'all be remembering the things I say? Why? I mean, why are you guys remembering the things that I say and holding me accountable? Rude. Just joking. I am so close to finishing the first one. It's so scary. But I know that the people that rock with me and the people that rock with my ethos, especially in this space of living abroad, living abroad is a pathway to wellness. I know that y'all will appreciate this book. And I'm just hoping that as I release it, I hope people just give me the grace to grow as a writer. And yeah, I hope it resonates with all of y'all. But actually, more news about the book is coming this year for sure, and actually sooner rather than later. But thank you for remembering and holding me accountable. I appreciate that. I want to thank everyone who's ever contributed to buy me a coffee. Oh my goodness, I really appreciate you. 
the OGs that still contribute via Patreon. I don't know what we're going to do with that Patreon, but we're going to figure it out. We'll figure it out. I also want to shout out to Liza. Liza, you just contributed to my buy me a coffee. and You just left the best message for me that turned me into putty. I ugly cried. Oh my goodness. Just thank you for your kind words. I think sometimes when I create this podcast, I put it out there. I know people listen to it. I see the numbers. I know y'all listen to it. But I don't know. No. You know, I don't know the impact. And everybody's got lives. I'm not saying everybody got to be like, Christine, I love this episode every week. You know, I love hearing that. I'm not going to lie. I love hearing that. Love it so much. But it was really humbling to read your message. Um, I sent it to my mom and my sister. (laughs) And to some of my friends. Because as a solo indie Black woman podcaster, sometimes, I don't know, our impact, it, it takes a lot of work to do this work. And sometimes you just don't know about the impact. So it was just very kind to read that. And also everyone who was ever... Not only bought me a coffee, but y'all that slide in my DMs, y'all that comment, y'all that share every freaking week. I love every single one of y'all. I'm not joking. I love everyone so much. You make such a huge difference in my life. So I appreciate you. Hey, Christine. Long time admirer. My question is, how do you usually like hold back on giving an opinion when you have to, I guess, is it difficult to just sort of hold back comments? How do you stop yourself from like giving advice? Okay. So the question was, how do I stop myself from giving advice or interrupting my guests who are describing their life? How do I stop myself from interjecting? Honestly, it's easy for me. I think it's because I'm an, I'm a natural active listener. Since I was a little Christine, I was the type of kid that was sitting in the circle, waiting patiently for the story time to start, shushing all the kids. That's me. When I first started the podcast, I would record without video which I think I might actually go back to. But I used to record without video because I wanted everyone to feel really comfortable. And I know that they were going to be sharing different things happening in life. And life is life. Life happens. And I didn't want anyone to play to my emotions, to my reactions. And I am quite expressive. So I didn't want anyone to play to my reactions or just the fact they could see me and stuff like that. So I used to record with no video, kind of like a phone call, which I really liked. And again, I might go back to that. What also has helped me is that I mute myself. I ask my guests my question. I tell them they can go as long or as short as they want. I'm just here to listen. And I mute myself. Now, I originally muted myself because Spain is a loud country. <laughs> and no matter what, like there's just going to be some noise. I I lived in Barcelona. There's always a motorcycle, some going on. There's always something. I live in Valencia. There's always a church bell. There's always something happening. So that's what helps me to not interject. But now 
I just really love the format of the show. The show is not about me and like me being like, oh yeah, girl, me too. Or, oh yeah, don't you hate that? After they answer the question, we may actually have a little bit of conversation between questions, but it really is about showcasing their story. I want the episodes to kind of feel like it's the three of us in a conversation. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to feel very intimate. So I wanted to feel like you, me, and the guest. And we're sitting down, we're listening to this guest tell her story. And we're just like in awe. We're just like, girl, what? What do you mean? Like, <laughs> I may be saying that internally, and y'all might be saying that to, you know, your phone or wherever you listen. Like, girl, what you talk about? But it's about really giving the guest, her space, her space to tell her truth without judgment, without any kind of evaluation put on it, right? I just want her to tell her truth. I just want her to tell us what happened and how she felt about it. I want her to tell her reflections. I don't need to guide the guest or steer the guest. I just want to hear how she feels about it. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the podcast because I ask a lot of questions on Blackness and I feel like everybody who listens to this podcast understands that Blackness isn't monolithic nor is womanhood. And so the answers you're going to hear and how people live their lives you're not always going to agree with. You're going to be like, girl, what? What you mean? Like, you're going to feel that way, but that's okay you know what I mean? If anything, that should be confirmation that there are so many different ways to do this life and to thrive and to make it. So it's really easy for me not to say anything because I want my guest to feel comfortable and I want her to just tell her truth. And I think that as Black women, we're silenced a lot and we're either silenced explicitly or implicitly by social cues and things like that. And I don't want to do that at all. So I just put myself on mute. I do video now, but I'll probably go back to no video, which will freak everyone out because everyone's like, what? I can't see you, but it's better when I see you. And it's like, it's not better, actually, because it isn't because you get to like sit there and just say what you want to say. I honestly think so. I haven't done any scientific research on it, but I think it's just a little bit better when people can't see you. I don't know. Other podcasters, you let me know. Next question. What's the difference between your first year podcasting and now? So at the time of this recording, I am in my third year of podcasting. And the biggest difference between my first year and now, oh goodness, or just what is the difference? I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest. Most of the time, I'm just like, what? It's, it's very strange. It's a very strange feeling. Like, I still feel very much like, I don't know, but I like it. So I'm going to put it out there. I would say a big difference, though, is that I have a really great community of podcasters and collaborators. So that has changed everything, truly, whether it has been just opportunities to showcase the podcast, showcase myself, opportunities to speak. 
that's probably the the difference. The first year is you don't know what you're doing. You feel very nervous. I felt so sick to my stomach. Shout out to my accountability partner, my friend Roshni, who's in Barcelona. And she kept me really accountable via Google Meet chats every week. And we would talk about our projects. And she's the one who was like, you need a deadline. You need to launch this and have a party. So really shout out to Roshni because had it not been for Roshni, I, I don't know if I would have ever launched this thing. So shout out to her. And now I have just a whole community of amazing collaborators and friends that have supported me in this podcasting journey. I also have collaborated with lots of different entities and organizations that really support Flourish and Form. I've won an award. I've been shortlisted. I've been spotlighted by Apple. Yeah, a lot of things are different from the first year to the third year. I feel really, really, really blessed. And honestly, podcasting has really changed my life. If you haven't listened to the episode I did, it's called How She Built This. I dropped it maybe hmm, December 2021. I dropped it just talking about the origin story of Flourish and Form and like how much it had changed my life up until then. So definitely check that out. The next question how do you find these amazing guests? What was the process? I talk about this process in my episode, How She Built This. So if you have listened to that, go ahead and listen to that. I also talked about it with Danielle Desir Corbett. I did an episode about monetizing a podcast. It was part of the Build a Business Abroad mini season. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But how do I find these amazing guests? Some of you guys don't know my background is in law. So I'm a lawyer. So, and lawyers are just basically like big nerds that love to research things. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what we do and write. So before I launched the podcast, I've been thinking about the concept for probably like 18 months and I would just research. I knew people. And I would just research, like I was looking for them on YouTube. I was looking for them in blog posts and Facebook groups. And for me, as you guys have probably know now, because either you live abroad or you're really interested in it, so you're researching, there's so many Black women living abroad. Like there's an abundance of us. It's never going to run out. But for me, I really was looking for a particular story. The podcast is story driven. So I was looking for people that could tell their stories as best as possible. I was looking for people who are really interesting to me. For a long time, I had a whole list of people that I thought I would want to be on the podcast. And this was before I even launched a podcast, but I pitched them with the trailer being released. And I was just like, look, this is what my mission and vision is. I want to celebrate Black women living abroad. I want us to tell our own stories. I want us to hear it from ourselves. And I want us to inspire other Black women. And I want to connect other Black women. And I want to explore how living abroad has contributed to your wellness. And so with that type of pitch, I secured like my first batch of guests 
And what has happened is that guests recommend their friends, people discover the podcast, they pitch me, publicists pitch me, and just through my network, I'm exposed to new people and I pitch people. Honestly, it's about being really, really resilient because there's some people that I had pitched three years ago that just now ended up on the podcast or were just now about to record. And I was persistent because I know y'all going to love their stories. I was just like, no, no, no. They got to hear this one. So you also have to be really resilient and persistent because sometimes it's like not going to work out. People are going to forget. It's not a good time. Life happens for people. Life happens for me. And so, yeah, I trust myself a lot. I've been doing it for three years, 100 episodes. Now I'm very particular about my guests, to be honest. I got to be excited about the story and not just because it's like dramatic or something. There's just something about, you know, if there's a different angle that we haven't explored or just a different type of lifestyle, different point of view, a different background, a different set of circumstances. So that's how I get my amazing guests. But I would also say to that, like, I don't have a lot of shame when it comes to pitching. People can tell you no, and that's fine. I would also say this, like, I pitch people that, how can I say this as diplomatically as possible? I pitch people that really played in my face, and I could have felt defeated or, I don't know, I could have been walking around with like a a grudge. And I don't like, it is what it is. Like, you don't want to be on it. That's fine. I like clearly the podcast will prosper. So I don't put anyone on a pedestal. I platform amazing black women and I want to showcase our stories, but I also don't put anyone on a pedestal as a major get or whatever, because as you guys know, some of the guests that I have on my podcast have quite large audiences. They are YouTubers. They're well-known influencers or entrepreneurs in their own right. Okay. But also some of your favorite episodes are from ladies who don't have an Instagram. And it took me a while to convince them to even showcase their, their stories, right? They have none to sell. They're just telling you their stories. So I would say if you're looking to get into podcasting and you want to get amazing guests, it's like research, Learn about what you're really trying to convey to your audience. Pitch as many people as possible, but also trust your gut and your your vision. And don't put anybody on a pedestal. Don't do it. Here's a question. I get a lot of questions about meeting up and whether I'm open to meeting up with people. I will say this. Obviously, safety is important to me. I don't think anybody's crazy, but safety is important to me. I'm also an introvert. And I'm often quite busy, so I usually am on the go. Maybe one day I will do a meetup. I've been asked to do a meetup a couple of times, but I I don't know. Because everyone's just like, can you do a meetup? But, I'm, but where? And what do you want to do? And what do you want to talk about? Like, I don't know, y'all. So perhaps I would do an in-person meetup. 
but y'all would really need to say what y'all want, where y'all want it, and then I got to slap undo it. So there's that. Question. What's the difference between your first year in Spain and now? Which is a great question. So for those of you that don't know, I moved to Spain in 2017 and I first moved to La Rioja, which is the smallest comunidad or state in Spain. And I lived there for nine months. I lived there while I was on sabbatical and I was teaching English to two primary schools, one in the quote unquote city of Logroño. And I only say that because Logroño is like a town of Logroño, which is the capital of La Rioja and one in the village called Aberite. So that was very different, right? I was, I moved, I was quite burnt out. I was, I was at the beginning of my lock journey. And now six years later, I live in Valencia, Spain, and I don't teach children. And I have this podcast and just a lot of things are different. I would say the biggest difference is my ability to sit in discomfort. I think that it's easy to be like, be comfortable with the unknown and all these types of things. It's easy to give lip service to that. It's a whole nother thing to actually live it. And I think if you live abroad, you're constantly put in uncomfortable situations, <laughs> whether it's just because of your own beliefs and expectations and assumptions about how things should go, or just adults, adulting abroad. Like there's a lot of discomfort. You're changing. You're interacting with the environment. You meet a lot of people. One of the biggest differences is that living in La Rioja was great. And I think it's a good place for if you have a family and you want to like settle in a quiet and small, very safe part of Spain with great gastronomy. I think La Rioja is great. That's not where I was in my life at that time. So I definitely wanted to move. But now I would say I'm living in a city that's very much my vibe. It's international, yet still very Spanish. It's really well-connected, and I have a really strong community. I feel very comfortable in Spain, which is wild because like every day I have some kind of nonsense that happens where I'm just like, oh, yes, oh, yes, I am a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. But I think that's probably the di biggest difference is like I am just really comfortable with my ability to figure things out. I'm really comfortable with my ability to just live in the unknown and uncertainty. I also would say I've been really blessed with my experience of being abroad. I know some people find it hard to make friends when they're over 30 or abroad, and I've never had any of those problems. And I'm an introvert, and I'm not trying to say like I'm wildly popular, but I just have never had those issues. And so I guess the difference also between first year and now is that I just have even more friends. <laughs> I have friends that live in Spain and friends that live in Europe and other parts of the world. And so my community and my network is really, really big. 
now. So I would say that's the biggest difference. Hi, Christine. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Gracia. I'm a Jamaican based in Trinidad. I love your podcast. It has been so inspirational, founded by chance through another travel podcaster. So my questions are for non-US residents or non-Canadian residents who are interested in moving to Spain or even Portugal, given that our passports, <laughs> as you can imagine, aren't as you know, as terrific, quote-unquote, as, say, a U.S. passport. Do you have any further suggestions as to different protocols that we should follow? Because obviously it may not necessarily be the same for us. I mean, I myself, like, I need a Schengen visa to visit Spain, whereas a U.S. citizen or even other Caribbean citizens, like from Trinidad, etc., don't need need one. So I was just wondering. And then if there was just anything else just from a non-typical passport perspective that you could share, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for your question. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you are enjoying sweet TNT for me. Oh my goodness. I love Trinidad so much. So it really depends on your motivation for moving to the EU, I would say. I find that Europe in general is very pay to play. It really is. Is there passport privilege and passport discrimination? A hundred percent. But I find Europe to be like, depending on what you want to do, if you want to invest, they'll take your money. Like if you if you want to get in on that investor visa, which I think Portugal just stopped, their golden visa program, they're taking everybody's money. <laughs> Spain has a golden visa program as well, and they take anybody's money. As long as it's cash, welcome to Spain. So it really depends on what you're looking to do, if you're wanting to work, if you're going to retire and things like that. I've interviewed several women from the Caribbean here in Europe. If you're looking for employment, I think that passport privilege comes in in that way of what people kind of assume who you are and things like that. But I would really need to know more from you. I need to know about what your motivations are to move to Europe. I need to know whether you want to work in Europe or study, if you're looking to retire, if you're just looking to stay for a year, whether you can support yourself outside of working in the Portuguese or Spanish market and things like that. That's what I would need to know. But I think your your apprehension about coming and moving to Europe and having a passport of quote-unquote lesser strength is valid because of a lot of the obstacles that you have to surmount if you don't have a quote-unquote strong passport. I mean... In some cases, you have to have a letter of invitation. You have to have a certain amount of funds in your bank account. You have to already purchase the plane ticket before you're able to get a visa. You have to showcase you have enough ties in your home country that you will return. And you can still be denied a visa, right? And so that's potentially a huge loss of funds and time 
also, I think it's quite degrading as human beings. I just think it's really wild. But that's a real experience. And so I'd love for you to clarify that question. And I'd love to like have more conversations about passport privilege and other Black women who are traveling on quote-unquote lesser passports. I don't like to say it like that because I think it, I'm, I really despise that system, but it is true. And a lot of the women that I have interviewed have two passports. They may have one that's quote unquote lesser and they have a stronger one. For example, Patricia, and I think episode eight, she is from Lesotho, but she went to school or was raised for a time in the UK. So she has a passport from Lesotho and from the UK. I think that perhaps Adma from the UK, she has Ghanaian heritage. I think she has a Ghanaian passport and a British passport. Who else? Neria in, in Portugal. She was actually born in the Canary Islands, but did not get Spanish citizenship bestowed to her because I think of a Spanish law at the time. She grew up and then... Ooh, moved around to Guinea and to Gabon. And then eventually she obtained, I believe, a Spanish passport. And in the episode, she actually talked about the freedom that she felt with this passport and how she was able to travel. And she really did describe it as freedom to just go and whiz through and not have anyone scrutinize you and stuff like that. So... It's definitely something I want to explore more and discuss more and have more examples. Now, I've interviewed several Jamaican women, and I don't think they hold more than one passport. So we have Teresa, Jamaican woman who lives in Mexico. She moved on her passport for work. We have Dr. Rachel Brown, who moved on her passport to Barcelona first, and now she was in Ghana. She went to Barcelona to get her PhD, so that's a student visa. And then we have Annabelle, who moved to Japan originally for the JET program and then to study her master's in architectural design in Japan, and now she lives there. So I know it's definitely possible. I know it's definitely possible to be mobile, especially on a Jamaican passport. If there are extraordinary or special things to consider, I don't know that. But it's definitely something I'm going to take note of and try to explore more for sure. So thank you so much for the question. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, be sure to support this podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign and buying me a coffee. You can also write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and anywhere else you listen to the show. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. Now, back to the episode. Next question. How can I start a life in Valencia without the language and without a work visa? Okay, I got a lot of kind of questions 
like this. <laughs> okay, so when it comes to this, I have to ask a couple questions. So if this is your question, if you're interested in this, take out a piece of paper, write this down, or this would be actually a great time if you haven't already got the Move About With Intention guide, grab that guide and you can write in like the back section of it. So you want to move to Valencia without the language and without a work visa. The first thing I'm going to ask you is that, do you need to work or do you not need to work? If you are going to need to work, do you want to work in Spain or do you have work opportunities that are outside of Spain? That's what I would ask. So if you do not need to work, in Spain, if you're independently wealthy or you have your savings or whatever, you could start a life in Valencia. I would say, though, that unlike perhaps Madrid or Barcelona, I think you need to be able to speak Spanish in Valencia to have like the full experience. I mean, I'm sure there's people that disagree with me. There's plenty of digital nomads that come in and out and people don't speak Spanish but I think like in Madrid and in Barcelona, I would say even Barcelona especially, people are really quick to switch to English if you have an accent. So you don't even get to practice or if you don't speak Catalan. In Madrid, it's so international that people speak so many different languages. So English is no problem. In Valencia, it's quite international too. A lot of people speak English, but I think it's it's a little bit different. And so if you don't speak Spanish... It won't prevent you from like living here, but you definitely want to take a class. So I would say that if you don't have to work and you want to move to Spain, I'm assuming you don't have an EU passport, then I would say just enroll as a student at a Spanish school so that you can get that language. And that also gives you a student visa. It doesn't allow you to work, but allows you to stay in Spain. Some of the programs are six months and the other ones are like one year. And that can help you to acquire the language and maybe for you to test it out to see if you want to stay and then look at some other avenues for you to stay long term. If you need to work in Spain and you don't have an EU passport, you're not a EU citizen, then you're really looking at opportunities in which you'd be sponsored right, by a Spanish company or a company that operates in Spain. It's not impossible, but it is quite difficult because the EU is quite protectionist. So they have policies in place that basically say, you need to prove that nobody in the EU can do this job, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so there's that, but there is a highly skilled work visa that you can obtain to work in Spain. If you you have a job in another part of the world, or if you are living off of investments or something like that, then you'll probably look at a non-lucrative visa to enter into Spain. And you'll still want to take Spanish class. I still think that's really important. I mean, I'm going to actually rejoin Spanish class because I really want to be super proficient I want to be as well-spoken as I am in English and Spanish and not just get along. Like I can do a lot of things, but I just think it's important for your experience to really thrive abroad is the language acquisition. So if you are serious about moving to Spain 
or Valencia, then start taking Spanish class now. Duolingo is cool, but I think there's so many different options for you to start with a professor. I would just start learning Spanish right now. The next question is, we'd love to know how you're able to do this without the not yet real visa de nomadas and how you're handling taxes. Thanks for sharing your insights. So this question is about how am I able to live abroad, especially without the nomad visa? So I've answered this before. So I am a permanent resident, so I can live in Spain. And how you're handling taxes. If you haven't listened to my episode on financial wellness abroad, you should definitely listen to it. I also have a YouTube video with Tanya Munford Pitts, who's an expat tax specialist. Now, it's important because I'm a U.S. citizen, so I always have to file U.S. tax. So that's just something that has to happen, depending on what passport you hold. You may not have to file taxes in your home country. And then having a gestor or the kind of the equivalent of a tax accountant here in Spain to handle any taxes that you may incur. My business is registered in the United States. So I hope that answers your question. It's kind of hard without understanding where you're coming from, but that's in general how I am able to stay here without a nomad visa and handling taxes. So a couple of things about moving and living in Spain. You definitely need to have a visa in order to stay in Spain in a legal manner. I wouldn't recommend moving to Spain on a tourist visa at all. I think there's a lot of conversations sometimes online about, oh, you can go on a, on a tourist visa and then you can convert your visa in country. From my own experience and from everyone that I know, that hasn't been the case. Perhaps you can, depending on the visa that you'll be applying for and if you're doing so with an attorney. But I haven't heard of anyone applying and getting that visa in country. I know there were some exceptions during covid because of the unique circumstances of COVID. So I would say that if someone has had a different experience, great. But really and truly, Spanish bureaucracy is on another level. It is inefficient. It is <laughs> slow. It is laborious, the whole process. It is not straightforward. For example, even to this day of recording, May 2023, there are some Spanish sites that you may tr attempt to, to access and your browser, I work with Google Chrome, may flash like a warning, like, are you sure you want to enter into the site? And it's a Spanish government site. So <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Another example is that if you do secure a visa, you'll have to convert that visa into a TA, which is basically a foreigner's card. And to do that can take months to even just get an appointment. So the thing about Spain is like everything kind of runs on appointments. You can wait months and months and months just to get an appointment to be able to apply or submit your documentation for your foreigner's card. And then you may have to wait months and months and months to get an appointment to get fingerprinted and then wait months and months and months to actually get the card. So it is a very slow process 
It is not for the faint at heart at all. And it's also one of those things like if you want to move abroad and you're really looking at like long term, then okay, yes, Spain could be on your list. But if you're not, I just don't feel like the bureaucracy is worth it at all, at all. There are so many different visas you can apply for to to move to Spain. I'm going to be 100% real with you guys. I don't think that moving to Spain in order to stay in Spain is something that you can DIY. And I'm going to tell you why. I moved to Spain with the Auxiliar de Conversación program, which is from the Ministry of Education. It's where you teach English for anywhere from 12 hours to perhaps 18 hours a week, and you can give it a stipend. It's very popular. I think it's also known as the acronym NALCAP, being a language assistant. That's how I originally moved to Spain on a student visa. And I lived in a small community, so the bureaucracy was still painful, but the wait times were very low because I lived in La Rioja. However, what a lot of people who come in on this program soon find out is, one, the program doesn't allow you to work on that visa. You can apply for a specific permission that will allow you to work 20 hours, but it's also a bureaucratic nightmare to get that. So what a lot of people do is they work underneath the table, okay? At some point, people want to move on from the program. They may want to work in their career of choice or they want to just have like a different life because being a language assistant is definitely a particular type of lifestyle. And so people will look at different options for their visas. You can be an autonomo, which is a freelancer, freelancer visa. You can be a digital nomad, which is relatively new. There is like an, an entrepreneur investor. There's a non-lucrative visa. And there is the like familial visa as well, which is if you are married or partnered with someone who is Spanish, you can come in on that as well. I think that all of these processes take time. And so you need to be in a position in which you can support yourself through this. Moving to Spain is is a headache. It is really difficult. I would say that it's a very slow process. Also, the thing is, is that the laws of for immigration and particularly the visas may change quite quickly. The enforcement of like what is acceptable and what's not is not uniform, which is why getting a lawyer is usually really helpful because a lawyer will argue all the points. And a lot of people, if they don't get a lawyer initially, end up having to get a lawyer to fight on appeal, right? So I would say not as a deterrent to moving to Spain, but I just want everyone to be realistic and really understand what it would take to do so. And also I would have to say in general, a lot of countries, I won't say are cracking down, but they're just formalizing a lot of their immigration policies as it pertains to digital nomads and people who will be moving for short periods of time. So it's really important for you to do your research, for you to 
really get some wise counsel from someone who has done it and to perhaps get an attorney involved. Obviously, vet your attorney, make sure that they have done the things that they've said they've done. It's better to get a personal recommendation to make sure they're not scamming you, but also that they can actually provide the results they say that they can as well. Next question. Where's the best place you have lived and why? So goodness, this is a very interesting question. I have lived in three cities abroad that I would consider living abroad. Like I have spent like a month, two months, other places, but I don't consider that living abroad because for me, living abroad is really about immigrating. Like if you haven't done any paperwork, then it's kind of like a long-term tourist, in my opinion. We can fight about it if you want to, but like that's how I feel about it. <laughs> so I've traveled a lot around the world, but I would only consider myself living abroad in three cities. They're all in Spain. I mean, I don't know if you want me to compare the cities I lived in the States. I'm assuming not. So the places I've lived are La Rioja, La Gronio La Rioja, Barcelona and Catalonia, and Valencia here in the Comunidad de Valencia. I actually did an IG Live comparing each of these places and my thoughts on them. So that you can find them on IG and I also posted them on YouTube so you can listen to that. And I'll probably post it into this feed maybe this summer. But the best place I have lived so far is definitely my where I currently live, which is Valencia, Spain. Why I think it's the best place? Because it really does suit my personality and my lifestyle. Um, La Rioja was very small and quaint which and it's cute if you haven't been to La Rioja it's definitely worth the trip like I know a lot of people have heard of wine from La Rioja it's not necessarily on their list of places to go when they visit Spain and I'm telling you like it's actually worth it it's it's worth it the food is great the wine is so delicious and so economical it'll actually ruin you maybe you don't want to go because if you go you're going to be looking at all the other prices people charge you for wine like they're crazy. So maybe you don't want to go. Living in Barcelona was good, I would say. But I also have to be honest, right? We're all family here. Living in Barcelona was really bittersweet. My experience personally, as some of you guys know, because I've said it a couple times on the podcast, I've said it in interviews and stuff like that. I was partnered when I lived in Barcelona and that partnership ended and I still lived in Barcelona for a minute and then I left. So I think probably part of my experience in Barcelona was obviously painted by that experience and it wasn't like the greatest experience. But I would say overall, as objectively as I can be on this very subjective question, Barcelona is beautiful one, it's beautiful. It's international. I love the Mediterranean lifestyle. The last place I lived in Barcelona, I lived two minutes from the beach. It was dope. I lived in a great neighborhood. But for me, Barcelona just wasn't a right fit because 
I wouldn't say it's politically unstable, but it was just like, it's a lot of drama. Any city that you go to, any country has drama. But Barcelona has like a lot of drama that I just honestly, as selfish as this might sound, coming from the United States, coming from Atlanta, like I just didn't really have any tolerance for it. Let me just be honest. Like I was just like, I'm not really with it. I'm not really with it. And I and for people who might be like, oh my gosh, da, da, da. let me put this in perspective. I lived really close to Arc de Triomphe. Arc de Triomphe is next to the Palacio de Justicia and the Parliament Building, okay? So if you don't know, there's an independence movement in Barcelona. There's people that want Catalonia to be a separate country, okay? So a lot of these issues are played out in the Justice Building and in the Parliament Building. (laughs) And I lived really close to it, so... I mean, if you listen to the episode I did when I did my own interview and did my own episode of the podcast, which was episode 10, I tell y'all about when I first arrived to Spain, like right before I moved to La Rioja, my experience in Barcelona. And then when I recorded that episode, I was still living in Barcelona. So I kind of gave you my perspective there. Also, I I have interviewed several women that have lived in Barcelona. So Listen to those episodes. Everyone has a different experience. But for me, that was that was a lot. Having trash cans being set ablaze, cars set ablaze, people in the streets protesting, which is fine. It's definitely their civic duty and stuff like that. Unless you've experienced it in Barcelona, then I don't know if you really can get coming where I'm coming from. It was it was a lot. And I had lots of friends and a relatively nice life, but it just really wasn't what I was looking for. I didn't ever really feel rooted in Barcelona. It is very touristy. Again, I lived in a very touristy area, but then I moved. But yeah, for me, that that wasn't great. And... Because it's a, it's a big difference between visiting a place and living. And I think about living in Barcelona, it just was a, it was a little bit too much for me. I thought I was a big city girl, but not really. And I find that some Catalans are quite insular. And I read that as cold because I'm from the South. So for me... I had community and actually in Barcelona is where I experience the most robust and vibrant, like young black professional community I've ever had here in Spain. Although I hear Madrid has a really vibrant community. I've never been a part of it. But yeah, it just wasn't the right vibe for me. It has never felt like home, if that makes sense. So Valencia has definitely been like the best place I've lived. It actually feels very like home. I have a very vibrant social life. La Rioja is very like, if you have kids and family and kind of stuff like that. Barcelona is very transient. And Valencia is quite international, but it's like Spaniards and Valencians that have been abroad and they come back and they settle. It's like expats who are gonna, who live here. I mean, Valencia has become quite popular with digital nomads, but it's also a really strong expat scene where people are like, no, I live here. 
So that feels really different for me. It's safe, much safer than Barcelona. <laughs> Great weather, internationally connected. Yeah, I, I like it. So it's definitely the best place so far I've lived. It's very relaxed. For a big city, it's the third largest city in Spain. For a big city, it is quite, it still has like a town charm that I like personally. Well, the places that I go, they all know me by name. And I'm from the South, so I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't necessarily want everybody in my business. Like in La Rioja, people will be like, I saw you somewhere. I'm like, oh God, I hate that. But in Barcelona, like you, you can just be anonymous in Barcelona. And so for me, Valencia is like a good balance between that. And I just want to be honest with all of y'all because I don't want you to be like, oh yeah, Valencia or Spain. Valencia has a festival called Las Fallas. It happens every March. It is a celebration of spring and it involves these very large sculptures, which are very beautiful. It's like a big cultural and artist kind of competition. And then they set them ablaze at the very end. So it's very poetic, but also the Valencian community and Valencian people are world renowned for their fireworks and explosions. And so this Fias festival also surrounds lots and lots of explosions. So these explosions are not just fireworks, but they're also called mascletas, which are different. These mascletas are explosives that are set off during the day and they're mostly about vibration and noise. So that's the thing. It's, it's a lot of noise and vibration. And also fireworks are very easily obtained. And because it's the festival, you will have people setting off fireworks everywhere. So everything from little poppers for like children to like what I would consider major fireworks. And so that definitely drives me nuts. It's something that definitely makes me want to leave Valencia for the Fias Festival. It's just really noisy. It's also a huge party. So there could be drinking into the next day, well into the next day. And so it's just a big party for a couple of weeks and lots and lots of explosions all of the time. It's just not good for my nerves because I don't know, I guess it's PTSD from living in the United States. Like I hear an explosion and it's just a lot. It's just a lot. I would also say, this is something that we've talked about on the podcast. I've done Dating Abroad Part 1, Dating Abroad Part 2. I even have a whole panel about it on YouTube. But a lot of people ask about the dating abroad, specifically in Spain and Perhaps you're wondering, you know, in Valencia or anywhere else in Spain. I would say, though, as someone <laughs> who who has dated in Spain, um, I think you have to be prepared for, like, in general, quite short or petite men, balding, and general mama's boys. Now, look, I know someone listening is going to be like, that's not true. And I know someone's going to be like, my man, my man, my man. Okay, girl, your man's different. Cool. But <laughs> but I'm just I'm just being honest. You know, if you listen to my dating abroad part one or part two, 
Patrice in one of those was talking about how you need to kind of position yourself for the type of partner that you want, whether it be about your personal preferences and like looks or culture values or, you know, where you will be deemed the most desirable. I think that's important. So just like to let everyone know that although there are men that are not short, bald, and mama's boys, there are a lot. <laughs> and that's just, that's not just my experience. That's, that's pretty across the board, not just black women, not just American women. That's just, that's, that's kind of the, the thought. The great thing though is if you live in a more cosmopolitan city, then you will meet men that have had obviously international experiences and who may not fit that description. I would also say that, you know, although people do work here in Spain, they work at startups and I'm sure they have great jobs and stuff like that. I think you have to be really mindful as to what what does a career or a job mean to you um, so they can align with what you're looking for. In Spain, it's very typical for people to work from nine to seven with a siesta in the middle and you kind of return back to work and it's kind of one of those things. Do people have different schedules? I'm sure, depending on the type of work that you do, but like an office job type of thing, it's typically nine to seven and however long you're Siesta or lunches is also kind of dependent on the type of work that you do, if it would be expected for you to go home or if it's you just taking lunch with like your coworkers. Also, you know, although with inflation, cost of living has increased, it's still quite low in Europe. So you also need to wrap your mind around a lower, usually significantly lower salary here in Spain. Also, if you're thinking about moving to Valencia, I would say Barcelona, Basque Country, maybe Galicia, those are the ones that stick out. You need to be mindful of the second languages that are spoken there. So in Valencia, it's Valenciano. In Catalonia, it's Catalan. In Basque Country, it's Basque. In Galicia, it's Gallego. So depending on the comunidad, depending on the city within the comunidad, depending on the work in your community and your lifestyle will really dictate how important it is for you to pick up this second language. I would say in Catalonia, there is a strong expectation for if you're going to work in Catalonia, in Barcelona, that you speak Catalan, depending on how international the job is or the company is, that might not be an expectation, but they will most likely highly encourage you and have like a Catalan teacher to teach you some Catalan. And also in Catalonia, you can hear Catalan being spoken everywhere, right? People speak Spanish and they may speak English, but they speak Catalan, you hear it everywhere. It's different here in Valencia. Coming from Barcelona, I, I don't hear Valenciano on the street, like at all. And Valenciano and Catalan are extremely similar. They're almost like the same. So I know what it sounds like and I don't hear it at all. I'm told that it's spoken in the pueblos and maybe, you know, with older relatives, but it's not. Valencia doesn't have that kind of like aggressive insistence on 
speaking Valenciano as the Catalans do with Catalan. And in Basque country, the Basque, I mean, all the comunidades, all the Spaniards kind of up north are known to be a little bit more closed and insular. So I would believe that you would need to learn Basque if you wanted to develop community with Basque people. <laughs> if you just want to hang out with expats, I think it's fine. It's probably the same in Galicia with Gallego. So that's something to be mindful of. Something else to be mindful of is the weather. Climate change is really real and affects Spain in a very, very strong way. We've already had a a heat wave here in Spain along the Mediterranean. I think it actually hit all of Spain. We had it in April, which was very absurd and very crazy. And last summer, we had three heat waves that were just brutal here in Valencia. It's not really supposed to get that hot here. <laughs> so I think you have to think about that, whether you can withstand heat or if you have the ability and the means to vacation in other parts of Spain or other parts of the world for maybe three months out of the year or definitely August. Also something that's interesting to think about here in Valencia, more so than in Barcelona, which was interesting when I moved to Valencia, is that they have these very large, I guess, cockroaches. I'm not sure if there's another word for it, but they're very large and they fly and they can also get into all these buildings. Now, I'm very blessed and highly favored because I haven't had that experience, but I also don't live on the beach. I used to live on the beach in Barcelona and I don't live on the beach now. Apparently that's where they are, but apparently people can have them, especially if you live maybe above a restaurant, something like that. I have never heard of that issue with all of my days of living in Barcelona, I'm sure, of course, that could have been an issue, but maybe I just was blessed and all my friends were blessed because I just never heard of it. But I hear about the cucarachas here in Valencia a lot. Just some things for you to think about. I get this question a lot, so I just want to help everyone make a decision or at least give you some things that you probably don't hear about in like blog posts and stuff. I also always get asked like, where else should I think about moving to, Christine? Which y'all know how I feel about this if you've been listening to this podcast, which is, is that, you know, only you know what's the best place for you. And if you're not sure where to start, starting on Google is not the place. You definitely want to just go ahead and I would say journal about it. Think about what you really need. If you're like, I don't know where to start, grab the Move Abroad with Intention Guide which is going to give you, it's over 40 pages of guided journal prompts for you to get clear and confident and honest with yourself about your current state of affairs and what you're wanting to get from this new chapter. Because moving abroad is a hassle. And if you're going to take the time to do so, you want to do so with intention and you want to do so in a way that's going to give you the best chances to quote unquote succeed. You want to move someplace that is going to nourish you as you navigate a new chapter of your life. And as you guys know, it ain't all roses when you first move. It ain't all roses. So you want to be able to make a move that's going to support you in this new chapter of your life. With that being said, I don't usually give cities or countries as suggestions, because I think it's kind of 
silly. But I will today. I will. I will give you a suggestion for places to think about. I would say think about perhaps Marseille in France. It's on the coast. It is really beautiful. It's ethnically diverse. And also it's a whole different vibe. Like I'm not a Paris person. I'm definitely a Southern France person. Like I'm not, I'm not a Paris person. I know some people be like, oh my gosh, you're not chic or you're not whatever. Okay, girl, I'm not a Paris person, even though I've had lovely times in Paris. I am definitely a Southern France kind of girl. So I would say look there. I would also say another place is Tirana, Albania. It's super cheap. Albanians are incredibly lovely. And so you have that. I would also say Kigali, Rwanda. I think I've met and I know of so many people who are thriving, absolutely thriving in Kigali. So I think that could be a place to really think about if you are looking to move. Now, all my suggestions are under the assumption that you already have work or stream of income. I don't know about anyone's job market or their current economic situations. I'm just going off of lifestyle, community, relative ease of immigration and integration, and just places that I think are cool. So that is my contribution to this conversation. I hope that I answered y'all's questions. If I did not, again, feel free to submit more questions and I'll collect them for the next Ask Me Anything, which will happen later on this year. What is your motto that you live by? I've asked this question actually from the very beginning, but it's usually this question that I cut from a lot of the episodes, at least from the very beginning. And so I'm definitely going to do a compilation of mottos to live by because I think y'all would really like it. The guests that I've interviewed are not just amazing women with amazing stories because they are. And like everybody who's on the podcast is like super fine. And I'm just like, why is everyone just beautiful? Very suspicious. No, I'm joking. But they also have so much wisdom in, in their mottos that they live by as well. The motto that I live by, I live by a couple, but the one that I'll share with y'all today is, it is done unto you as you believe, which is actually based upon a biblical scripture in Matthew. And I firmly believe that a lot of things that we experience and that a lot of things that we believe to, to be true for ourselves, that we create those circumstances for ourselves. As Black women, I'll say, especially as a Black American woman, does systemic racism and systemic sexism and anti-Blackness affect my life? For sure. But I also have learned that it's really vitally important for me to believe uh, in the life that I want, in the circumstances that I want, and the outcomes I'd like. Basically, I need to be my first yes. I shouldn't look for the first yes outside of myself. I should look for the first yes inside of myself. Because if I don't believe it, if I'm telling myself the very first answer is no and it's coming from me, then then the possibility for anything else to happen is kind of dead in the water. So that's my motto. It is done unto you as you believe. Next question. 
Oh, this is a good one. What is your personal definition of wellness? And how has that evolved as you lived abroad? That's a good one. For those of you that listen to the podcast, y'all know that that is usually one of the last questions I ask each and every one of my guests. So my personal definition of wellness is to be in deep resonance in every aspect of your life. So We've talked about this several times in the podcast. When we talk about wellness, we're not talking about just bath bombs and crystals. We're talking about like being in harmony financially, being in harmony physically, mentally, spiritually, professionally. And I do feel like the time that I've spent here in Spain has allowed me to be really honest with myself about where I am in harmony and where I'm not in harmony. Like where the harmonies are hitting and where I am out of tune and what I need to do to get in harmony. And for me, it's about being in harmony with not only who I truly am, but also about my vision of the woman that I'm becoming and the life that I want to have and the the life that I'm cultivating. So making sure that I'm I'm in resonance with that, because for me, resonance is something that you feel. You can hear it, you can experience it, but you feel the resonance and you can also experience and feel dissonance. And so it's so much more than just how does this look on paper? How does this look on IG? What do other people think about it? But it's really about feeling the harmony and experiencing the harmony, feeling the resonance, right? Or feeling the dissonance and making those adjustments. And I feel like living in Spain has given me the space to do that. It's taking work, y'all. I tell y'all that all the time. It takes work, but it, it's been worth it for me. I will say that for those of you that are in preparation to move abroad or are interested in move abroad, I would highly suggest you to, one, get the Move Abroad with Intention guide because it is an over 40-page guide of journal prompts. You might be like, girl, why do I need journal prompts? And I believe, and from the feedback that I've received from this guide, the journal prompts are going to help you get clear and confident. So much time is spent on Googling the logistics of moving abroad, which I'm not saying is not important. But before you even get to logistics, you really need to understand who you are and what your expectation is for this chapter Moving abroad is a huge hassle. Even if you have all the money in the world, it is a huge hassle. You are uprooting your entire life. And then you are trying to reroute yourself. And you don't know if you're going to take in this new environment. And so it's so important to be intentional and to be super honest with yourself about where you want to go and why. And what does this next chapter of your life look like and why? And who must you become to have that life, to cultivate that life? And what you must give up 
to do so and who you must unbecome to do so. It's so important. It's not about moving abroad, y'all. It's not about being abroad for IG or to stunt on people. It's about flourishing abroad. It's about giving yourself the space and the breath and maybe free up the resources or have the community, have the culture that's going to support you in this next iteration of your life. So it's so important for you to do the inner work first, because if you do not, you'll go abroad and you'll bring yourself and you may not be happy with that because you may you may create the same cycles that you experienced in San Diego, in Atlanta, in Brixton. Okay, and you might then blame it on Colombia, on Chiang Mai, on Accra or wherever. And it's not, it's not them, it's you. So the first step is to definitely get the move abroad with intention guide. The next step after that is if you are looking to cultivate a bespoke game plan for yourself, you want to know what are the things I need to do? How do I create this game plan that's going to be the guide to all this other preparation? then I would suggest you to join my Move Abroad with Intention course. Right now, it's a self-study course. I will be doing a live version this fall. So if you want the live version, basically the live version, you get everything in the self-study version, but you get to talk to me for five weeks. So for five weeks, you get to talk to me and the other participants in a community and yeah, you get to talk to me live every week for five weeks. That's the difference. So if those things are interesting to you, check them out at flourishnoforeign.com. All the information for all of those things are there. If you're interested in building a business abroad, definitely grab that Build a Business Abroad guide at christinejob.com. Definitely check out the blog posts. Make sure you're subscribed so you get news whenever I drop a new blog post because I am going to be doing a lot of interesting blog posts about Building a business abroad, like what do you need to do? What do you need to concern yourself with? What do you not need to concern yourself with? And all the all that stuff. Also, you're going to want to make sure that you have listened to the Build a Business Abroad mini season, which was season three. Listen to it. Take notes. <laughs> Please do that. A lot of being an entrepreneur is self-study and research. A lot of it. A lot of it is figuring it out. If you are like, nah, Christine, I need to talk to you. I need you to be on my team. I'm trying to be on the winning team. Now, hey, I mean, I do have a winning team. That is true. As I've mentioned before, currently in 2023, to start working with me is a mid four figure investment. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, I suggest you to fill out my prospective client inquiry form, which you can find at christinejob.com. Go to my services page, go to business strategy, and you can fill out the form there. And then we'll book a time to chat and see if we're a good fit and do all that jazz. I do have some thoughts I want to share with all of y'all. So allow me the time to wax poetic. I told y'all I'm not going to cry on this podcast and I'm not, okay? (laughs) But I might get a little choked up. I might get a little choked up. Some reflections that I have. Oof. Some reflections that I have on three years of podcasting, 
of being the host and creator of Flourish in the Foreign, for being entrusted with these amazing women's life stories. I have immense gratitude and I am deeply humbled. I do not take it lightly at all that these Black women believe in me and trust me to platform their stories. It is something that is a major honor of my life and I don't take it lightly at all. I want to thank all of you who listen to this podcast because in all honesty, I just thought my mom was going to listen to this podcast. (laughs) And when I launched this podcast, those of you that have listened to the show for long enough, my mom actually got stuck with me during the pandemic. So she was stuck with me in Barcelona. So I just thought the lady in the next room over was going to listen to the podcast. (laughs) I didn't think that this podcast would reach as many people that it has, that it would impact people's lives, that it would change people's lives. It's really hard for me to even absorb that all the way without crumbling. (laughs) But I am honored. I am so honored and I take it so seriously. When I say that I love you all, my audience, I love every single one of you listeners You are so amazing and so kind. You all are so generous with your praise and your love and your support. And I am a solo indie podcaster. And so I would not be where I am. I wouldn't have the opportunities to even enter into some of these rooms without all of you. I also want to let you know that This podcast has changed my life. Where I was when I launched this podcast, I was not flourishing in the foreign, which is why I say it's not about moving abroad, being abroad, it's about flourishing abroad. I was not flourishing abroad. I was abroad and I was trying to figure it out. I knew that I had the opportunity to flourish. I knew that... I was given this amazing opportunity and I knew that it was possible because of all the women that I had met. But I was really quite obsessed with this thought of flourishing. Now, I had a different kind of story. I came abroad solo. I got partnered. I was in a very bad partnership and which contributed to not flourishing for sure. And that was really where everything kind of started for me. A lot of people don't know, I think I've mentioned this in how she built this, is that my ex is actually kind of in audio, actually. And when I told him about my idea to do this podcast, which was in February 2020 when I told him, he thought this was a bad idea. He was just like, he didn't get it. And he was just like, that's He didn't say it was dumb, but basically he thought it was dumb. And that relationship ended. I moved into my own apartment in Barcelona in March and went into lockdown and had to really decide in this very uncertain time 
What was I going to do with this time, however long it's going to last? And really, what was I going to do with my life in Barcelona? And I chose to pour myself into this project. And I truly took a very shitty situation and turned that into fertilizer in order to flourish. I really did. And I don't think I knew that at the time because I was just having so much fun because it's the middle of a pandemic and in Spain, they actually took it very seriously. So there was no other fun happening. Okay. So it was fun to talk to all these amazing women all around the world. It was fun that they would tell me their whole life story and I was a whole stranger. It was so much fun. And I learned how to edit. I learned how to do all these things. And in the midst of all that learning and all that connection, I really changed my life. I really did. And I went from a space of uncertainty and insecurity about building my own life on my own as a single woman, trying to launch a podcast, even though somebody who's in audio told me that it was a bad idea. I was really trying to create this all on my own for, I don't even know why. And it's through this process that I have become the woman that I am now and have the amazing relationships that I have now. And I have such a bright and beautiful future. And so I don't know at what point you are currently in your life, but if you feel like shit sucks, I feel you. I have definitely been there. I mean, sometimes it's touch and go every day, but I've definitely been in the depths. I've been in the depths being like, what is life? What is going on? I just want to let you know that not only have I been there, I know that it sucks. And I know that people telling you BS, inspirational phrases is dumb. But I will say that it does get better. But it gets better when you bet on yourself. It gets better when you pour the love that you may have been pouring in something that is dead into yourself. No matter how you are feeling, you are still alive and you are worthy of your own self-love. You're worthy of your love. You're worthy of your belief and confidence. You are worthy of your own praise and support. And when you do that, your life can really, really change in the most spectacular ways, truly. So I just want to end this show with that. If you're going through something, please reach out. Please know that you're not alone. If shit is shitting, I've been there. Just know that it doesn't last forever, but please pour the love that you've been trying to pour into a dead relationship, a dead career or whatever into yourself. Bet on yourself. It's not selfish because honestly, you will be able to bless so many other people. You'll be able to impact so many other people, but please do that. Whatever it is on your heart that you've been wanting to do, whether it is to create something, move abroad, whatever it is, Bet on yourself, 
Trust yourself. I believe in you. Okay? If you like, nobody believes in me. No, Christine believes in you 100%. I don't got to meet you or anything. Know that you at least have plus one. Okay? That's all I want to say because I love this podcast. I love you all. I don't want to cry on this podcast. I'm going to cry now. 100 episodes. Wow. Three years of podcasting. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I will be dropping some great episodes this summer into the feed. Season five will begin September, but I will be dropping some great episodes in the interim, and I hope you enjoy it. If you have certain topics, countries, cities, themes, people you would like me to interview or to explore, let me know. Slide in my DMs, respond to my emails, join the newsletter, talk to me. (laughs) Talk to me and let me know. All right. That is it for this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. Thank you so much for rocking with me, for loving me. I love y'all so much. I'm going to go and cry now for the rest of the day. And I will speak with all of y'all very, very soon. And as always, big shout out to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. And if you or someone you know are interested in becoming a guest on the Flourish in the Foreign podcast, simply go to the website and fill out the guest inquiry form. You can find that at flourishintheforeign.com slash contact. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. My personal definition of wellness is freedom. It's freedom. To really go with the rhythms of my desires. That is the ideal place of wellness. 